From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. How do, how do? Welcome to the broadcast. Good to have you aboard, all my listeners, my friends, my extended radio family. Getting ready to bug out at uh, of uh, 550 Queen Street East here in Toronto, the good. Just a few weeks hence, uh, we'll be moving down the uh, Queen Elizabeth, or down Lakeshore Boulevard, I guess, uh, the other, just west of here, moving into our new digs. Uh, the flagship station of our burgeoning little uh, network here on The Conspiracy Show, AM740, uh, is uh, pulling stakes and moving, as I say, down the road to a beautiful new facility. And I just uh, had the the, uh, the pleasure of doing a little tour. And uh, they're still, you know, uh, drywalling and uh, probably still are at this late hour, just trying to get things ready. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited about this new place. It just looks gorgeous. And uh, I have to say, though, I'm going to miss I'm going to miss this place. A lot of character, this old building. Uh, listen, I hope you're uh, enjoying sort of the uh, the Easter season, shall I say. Uh, you know, always confusing for me, uh, Orthodox Christian, there is sort of the, the Protestant Catholic Easter. Of course, we're into the Easter season now. And then the Orthodox Easter actually is like a month hence, the end of April, which is about the latest it can be. And, uh, you know, so I get to benefit, uh, well, what does it mean? I, it means... Uh, Two lovely glazed hams for Buddy. That's what it means. <laughs> one now and one a little bit later. Uh, and, of course, you know, the kids enjoying the, uh, the Easter egg hunts. And uh, uh, how do I, you know, bring this all home? I guess the Easter egg hunt is all about uh, one type of rabbit. And in this program, we take you down a different rabbit hole. And we're going to do that tonight. We are getting set, of course, to commemorate the 45th, wow, 45th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, some would say state execution, and I think my first two guests tonight would concur with that. Uh, really uh, here to sort of disabuse us of the official version of events that transpired April 4th, 1968 at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, that's where we're going this first hour. Hope you'll be aboard for that. Let's welcome aboard... William Francis Pepper, barrister in the United Kingdom, admitted to the bar in numerous jurisdictions in the United States of America, is primarily involved in international commercial law. He's represented governments in the Middle East, Africa, South America, Asia. Today, he represents Sirhan Sirhan, the gunman convicted, of course, in the assassination of Senator Robert F. Kennedy in June 1968. But he was a friend of Dr. Martin Luther King in the last year of his life, some years after King's death, Bill Pepper went on to represent James Earl Ray in his guilty plea and subsequent conviction. Uh, Pepper believes that Ra- uh, Ray was framed by the federal government and that King was killed by a conspiracy that involved the FBI, the CIA, the military, the Memphis police, and organized crime figures from New Orleans and Memphis. He later represented James Earl Ray in a televised mock trial in an attempt to get Ray the trial that he never had. And then, of course, the civil trial, the wrongful death civil trial, King Family versus Lloyd Jowers and other unknown conspirators. We'll get into that in a moment. That took place in Memphis in 1999. In that civil trial, the jury exonerated James Earl Ray. Also joining us, Cynthia McKinney, an American politician, activist, 
As a member of the Democratic Party, she served six terms in the United States House of Representatives. She has made a career of speaking her mind and challenging authority. She began on day one of her political life and hasn't looked back with her opinions, actions, and even her sense of style. McKinney has inspired both admiration and controversy. During her second term, her district was redrawn and renumbered the fourth district. She protested the new boundaries but was still elected to the seat. She was a supporter of a Palestinian state in Israel-occupied territory, sparked controversy by criticizing American policy in the Middle East. And Cynthia pressed for government transparency and accountability and introduced legislation to release the documents related to the murders of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Tupac Shakur. She was the first member of Congress to file articles of impeachment against George Bush, and she voted against every war funding bill put before her. First of all, let's say hello to William Francis Pepper. Hello, Bill. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, hello there. And uh, Cynthia McKinney, good to have you aboard as well. Thank you. Happy Easter to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's uh, begin with uh, you, Bill, if we could. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the civil trial in 1999. Did you initiate that, or did the King family come to you? How did that come about? Well, James died in uh, in 1998, and um, we we sort of were at the end of the road in terms of trying to get the truth out of, about how Martin King was killed. And um, I entered into discussions with the family about what the options were, and we uh, we decided jointly to go forward in the uh, in the civil action against Lloyd Jowers, who was the owner of Jim's Bar and Grill. We uh, behind which um, the shot was was fired that killed Martin, and we had we had picked up enough evidence over the years to show that Jowers had a knowing involvement in the assassination and uh, so he he was uh, it was suitable for him to be sued and um, we uh, we decided to go forward with that trial Jowers testified uh, in that trial by was it um, affidavit or how did he uh, how did Jowers no, he never he never uh, took the stand in the trial he had been um, he, he had met, he had been interviewed by um, myself and uh, Dexter King and then Andy Young and uh, and Dexter and in the course of those interviews he had laid out uh, his involvement in the assassination and he had uh, he had effectively admitted uh, what he had done and so. Um, those those were the statements that we we used to go forward against him. Why did you believe uh, Lloyd Jowers, or why should we believe that the? Uh, uh, the well, I wasn't just believing Jowers. We had enough evidence. We <laughs> right. We had people who saw him uh, in you know in 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 meetings and involved with the uh, with the actual assassination. We had a witness. Um, who had been his mistress, who was in the kitchen when he ran in carrying the still-smoking rifle, watched him break it down and wrap it in a cloth and take it back out to the kitchen. I mean, we, 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 had, uh, we, we had enough independent uh, evidence to go after Jowers. You, you called something like 70 witnesses to the stand? Yes, we had, we had uh, some 70 witnesses who testified uh, over a 30-day trial. 
And, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but the, the, the fact that there was, I believe, only one working journalist who covered that trial. Let me get the, let me bring Cynthia McKinney in as well in, in on this. And uh, Cynthia, you and I talked about this recently. Uh, not really a surprise that this wasn't covered by the mainstream media, was it? No, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised when the mainstream or corporate stream or special interest stream media fail to accurately cover important uh, stories of today. But um, I was just reviewing the uh, testimony, the extremely compelling testimony of William Schapp, who discussed the CIA involvement in the media, in buying the media, and um, I was also reviewing the church committee reports that documented the um, CIA participation in publishing houses, journalists, um, media outlets, um, and and this is even going against the CIA charter of um, being involved inside the United States proper, um, but the CIA violated their charter and uh, used what was um, Frank Wisner called the, the, the Grand Wurlitzer approach to media so that they could sit back and watch as people danced to the tune that they played. So um, this is the way in the counterintelligence program that they shaped people's views of um, activists who really were only trying to make the United States more responsive to the needs of, for example, um, Native Americans, blacks, um, and uh, radical militant whites who supported the claims for social justice of these various groups. I want to get into you know why Dr. King was targeted and and uh, William, you knew Dr. King sort of the last year of his life and a year to the date before he was shot, he delivered the speech maybe that that I guess was what put it you know what what would really uh, put him over the top in terms of I guess his perceived threat. Uh, to the intel, you know, the military industrial complex. Take me back to, to April 4th, 1967. Talk to me about that speech that he delivered and, and why that was so pivotal. Well, Martin King was an immensely courageous human being. Um, and I came back, I, I only met him, um, when I came back from Vietnam. And, uh, Ramparts magazine published an article I wrote called The Children of Vietnam, which, which uh, described exactly what was going on out in the country and and um, what was happening to the civilian population, who most of whom were 15 years of age or under, or very, very old. And, and the, uh, the photographs of the burned and maimed uh, children in particular um, just tore into him. He, he openly wept uh, in my presence when, when the, the, those files were revealed to him. And, and he just said he could no longer um, be silent. 
he had he had taken positions uh, that you know, were leading toward him opposing the war, but now he, he he decided he had to he had to come out fully. And the Riverside speech, uh, April four sixty seven, was the was 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 the key. Okay, let me just jump in here, Bill. I've got to take a timeout. We'll come back. Cynthia McKinney, William Francis Pepper, as we commemorate the forty fifth anniversary of the assassination. Some say the state execution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. No, I join hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing it. We shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it. We shall overcome. No, before this victory is won, some will have to get thrown in jail some more, but we shall overcome. Don't worry about us before the victory is won. Some of us will lose jobs, but we shall overcome. Before the victory is won, even some will have to face physical death. Physical death is the price that some must pay to free their children from a permanent psychological death. Then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. William Francis Pepper is uh, with us along with Cynthia McKinney as we uh, commemorate the 45th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, William Francis Pepper represented the King family in a civil trial back in 1999 that exonerated James Earl Ray as Dr. King's killer, uh, Cynthia McKinney was um, served six terms in the United States House of Representatives and uh, really uh, pushed the government to uh, release uh, documents uh, concerning the assassination of Dr. King. So uh, I guess, you know, as long as uh, Dr. King was, you know, uh, talking about civil rights and and, uh, supporting sanitation workers and so forth, uh, that was fine. But when he starts... You know, labeling his government as the United States as the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, um, that's when he became a threat. Is, is, is that when it really turned around? No, I think that, that, uh, that was not the primary reason he was killed. I mean, of course, it was, he, he, he was pushing the envelope and he, he was such a powerful force that, uh, him opposing the war was was very serious, and he was maligned everywhere, called a traitor, and it, it took a great deal of courage. But why he was he was ultimately killed, not not for the words, and 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 not even for the swaying of opinion. Um, but they don't kill you for that. They kill you when you become a serious threat uh, to the system itself and the security of the system, and the the well-being of. Uh, of corporations and 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 the subtle system of corporate fascism, which has uh, dominated this country for so long, what he they killed him when he was going to bring to Washington in that spring half a million people who were going to not march but going to stay there, going to visit their elected representatives and try to get money put back into the social programs that had been taken out because of the war. And they were going to they were going to camp and they were going to be there, 
and they they were seen as a potentially a potentially a, a revolutionary force. You have to remember what the context: a hundred cities had burned that year. There, the streets of Paris were the scene of a revolutionary movement that uh, virtually was was prepared to overthrow the government of Charles de Gaulle and create a new republic. And if it hadn't been for André Malraux uh, dealing with de Gaulle and effectively teaching him how to co-opt the communists and the labor unions and leaving the students hanging out by themselves, then you, you, you might well have had that revolution in France. All of this was going on at the time, and the military knew they didn't have the troops to put down any upsurge of violence in the nation's capital, and they were afraid that that would result when there would be ultimate failure in terms of the achieving of the goals that this, this movement had. So Martin was never going to be allowed to bring that mass of humanity, that mass of impoverished, miserable humanity, as well as uh, individuals across the spectrum who supported that plight, um, to Washington. He was not going to be allowed to leave Memphis alive, and that was uh, that was clearly, uh, in my view, what what led to his assassination. Cynthia had uh, talked to me about again this motivation of wanting to get Dr. King out, discredit him, and bring their own person in there, someone that they could co-opt and control. Do you think that has any credence? Yes, I certainly do. I mean, I think that that's always the tactic. If they if they could discredit and effectively get rid of uh, a leader such as Martin King and replace him with someone else who can be uh, uh, co-opted and controlled, that's that's certainly uh, a tactic. Assassination, political assassinations, are the last resort, and um, everything else would, is normally tried beforehand in terms of control, manipulation, co-option. But uh, if, if that does not work, and then, then assassination is a, is a tactic that is used. The uh, the jury in the, the the civil trial in Memphis found Jowers responsible and found that the assassination plot included also governmental agencies. Can you talk to me about which governmental agencies specifically might have been involved or were involved? Well, I mean, the the, the evidence pointed to the involvement of intelligence agencies as well as the as well as the bureau, uh, and and of course on the scene, the the local police department um, uh, and involvement was pretty well set out, and the um, uh, the ultimate contract, of course, was was given to a cutout, was given to the mafia as a as a cutout device, which is not unknown uh, as well, and. Um, so the Marcello organization used its its Memphis people um, and uh, to work with the local police and and set this up on the ground in Memphis. Is that where Jowers comes in? He was hired by the uh, the mafia. Well, Jowers owed had, owed a great deal of money to Frank Liberto, who was a, a local lieutenant of uh, the Lucchese organization in in Memphis, which was a part of the Marcello group. So. Jowers uh, was told that this debt would be forgiven and he would be paid quite a large sum of money if he would cooperate. And, and his place was ideally suited because it, uh, it backed onto the Lorraine Motel and was a, a heavily brush-filled area behind uh, his, his bar. 
and restaurant, and uh, so it was uh, it was an ideal situation for uh, for uh, for him to come become involved, and and he did. He also bought a taxi company himself uh, sometime after the assassination with the proceeds of funds that he received. Let me just check in to see if Cynthia has rejoined us. So she's joining us on Skype, and we're not able to, to reach her on phone. Cynthia, are you there? No, we, we'll keep working on trying to get uh, Cynthia McKinney back. In the meantime, William Francis Pepper stays with us. And uh, uh, I'm sorry we lost Cynthia. As am I, but I'm sure we'll get her back. I'm sorry that the United States Congress lost Cynthia. We need Cynthia McKinney back in the Congress. Not that she necessarily is going to change her uh, policy with the, this crowd, but that she could get up every day, like John Quincy Adams did in the 19th century, and just to speak the, that truth and uh, and invade those kinds of values that this this republic has long since uh, moved away from. And that's the that's the brilliance of of Cynthia and her independence. So we we need to figure or she needs to figure a way of getting back into the Congress just so that she is there and that she can rise and she can speak and uh, her words would be in the in that record. Who would who would have had to have signed off on on um, the assassination within within government? Would I mean uh, would J Edgar Hoover's fingerprints be on this? Would oh, he... of course, of course. No, if they, no, no. The assassination was signed off at the highest level. The highest level. You're talking executive order, or I'm talking about the, the president of the United States. Lind- this would not have taken place. Lyndon Johnson without without uh, uh, Johnson's full knowledge and uh, and agreement. Were the same. Remember, he, he announced uh, four days before that he was not going to run again. And you think there's a connection? Oh, of course there's a connection. Can you expound on that? Explain further why. Well, Johnson, Johnson uh, knew this was coming down, and it was coming down on his watch. And um, he didn't, uh, in my view, uh, he, he would not want to have uh, withdrawn. Uh, from political life and from running again for the presidency uh, in the face of uh, or after the assassination. And so it was it was timely for him to uh, uh, to uh, agree not to run and to publicly announce that he wasn't going to run again before the assassination. Do we have Cynthia back? Cynthia McKinney, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, delighted to have you back. Thank you, Cynthia. I wanted to get you uh, also to comment on something I, m- I mentioned earlier, be- just before we lost you, and that is the one of the reasons to get rid of Dr. King was because the establishment wanted to co-opt that movement, the civil rights movement, and put their person in there. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, hi, Bill. It's an honor to be on the same radio show as William Pepper. I mean, you know, you can't get much better than that when it comes to helping to unravel these massive lies and deceptions that have been carried out by our government that ended up um, with national icons um, being killed. And um, so I was also thinking about Bobby Kennedy and um, William Pepper's um, involvement around that assassination as well. 
Um, so why would Dr. King have been seen as inconvenient? Um, a group of Freedom of Information Act researchers were able to learn certain uh, information about the last days of Dr. King. And in one particular document, the thinking behind the, um, the need to get rid of Dr. King, and I call it regime change on black America, on black people in the United States, because this, this document said uh, somewhere at the top there must be a Negro leader who is clean, who can step into the vacuum and chaos once Dr. King is either exposed or assassinated. This document was dated May 11th, 1965. And basically what it outlines is the need for, and this is gone into further in the church committee reports about how the um, certain government, U.S. government operatives decided that they were just going to um, uh, figure out a way to uh, declare the leadership of the black community before the black community had a chance to declare its own leadership. And um, this is all spelled out very, very carefully in a series of FBI um uh, memos and in this uh, CIA memo as well. That's pretty damning. Listen, we're about to take a break. When we come back, I want to get back to the Lorraine Motel. And, uh, uh, Bill, I want to talk to you about uh, two very interesting witnesses, one of whom was uh, committed to a mental institution after she said what she saw, and uh, the other witness whose testimony, I guess, basically sort of sealed the fate of uh, James Earl Ray was supposedly uh, drunk, incapacitated, unconscious in bed at the time. We'll uh, we'll talk about more of the uh, the state execution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with William Francis Pepper and Cynthia McKinney right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. That freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thanks God Almighty, of the system are asleep now we can play the conspiracy show with richard serrett 
If you cannot be uh, stirred, emotionally moved by uh, the, the words you just heard coming out of Dr. Martin Luther King, then you have not a heart that beats. I don't care if you're white, black, or purple. Uh, and I guess that's what made him so powerful and so dangerous. Uh, William Francis Pepper is with us, Cynthia McKinney, as we talk about the 45th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, back to uh, the flop house above Jim's Grill, uh, William. Two very interesting witnesses. Uh, uh, tell me about uh, one they chose to ignore and sent to a mental institution, and the other they chose to believe, but from what I remember or understand, he was drunk and unconscious and in bed. Well, Gray Stevens, um, I mean, they were both uh, alcoholics, <clears throat> and uh, Grace and Stevens and old Charlie Stevens um, lived up upstairs uh, in the room next to the room that was rented uh, by James under instructions. But, uh, Grace saw someone going down the back stairs um, before the, the, the shooting, the room James rented, and uh, and he was kept out of it most of the afternoon, sent on errands and various things. He was gone. I was used as a staging ground. And um, at one point, a member of the team uh, was going down the stairs, and Grace saw him, and um, and mentioned that she saw him. Well, she had she had to be discredited. It wasn't all that difficult because she she did have a drinking problem. But she was quite clear about having seen this person going down the stairs. As for her common-law husband, Charlie, um, uh, some minutes before the the, the shooting, um, uh, a taxi driver named McCraw um, came up to pick up Charlie Stevens because he was he he, he received a call uh, that Charlie needed a taxi to take him somewhere. So old James came up, went up the stairs. Uh, to uh, take Charlie out, and he opened the door, and he saw him um, passed out, his head on the table, and um, <laughs> so drunk that he was certainly not capable of uh, of going anywhere with him. Uh, uh, so he left, and he left Charlie. Charlie just there with his head on the table. Now this is the this is the state's eyewitness, who supposedly uh, identified James from the rear. They identified someone going down the hallway and going out the front door of the building. One of the other things McGraw said was that uh, the bathroom door was open and the light was on. Um, and there was no one in the bathroom. When he was there and leaving, there was no one in the bathroom. And, of course, the state's position has always been the shot came from the bathroom, that James went in there, locked himself in, and uh, straddled the sides of the bathtub and managed to shoot Dr. King. Um, well, McGraw puts that uh, puts that to, to, that lie to rest. He went out downstairs, got back in his taxi, and started to drive away. And in a very short time, um, it came over the, the word of the the shooting came over the, the radio, and he heard it. Um, and uh, so it's. It's not at all believable that Charlie Stevens could have awakened and become t- totally sober and cognizant, so could see everything, and that uh, the bathroom door would have been occupied and shut, and the shot would have come from there. So that's the story of those two um, 
those, those two witnesses. Cynthia, you're serving in the United States House Representatives at this time uh, while this trial is going on. How, how, how did it make you feel, you know, representing a representative of the United States federal government? And, and knowing what you know about the complicity of certain individuals within the United States government, and here you are part of that government, how did that make you feel? Did, okay, I think we've lost Cynthia again. Let me ask you this, William. I mean, as someone who practices law, the rule of law doesn't seem to mean much uh, of anything uh, these days. And, and, and if the United States government was involved in the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., then what does that say about the law? What does that say about the Constitution? Well, I mean, it, uh, it pretty much reduces it to meaningless words on paper. Uh, it, it, it is, however, the only recourse we have. Uh, there are uh, people of integrity uh, involved with the criminal justice system and involved with the government of the United States. Um, and they very often become very upset with what they see and what they hear, and sometimes they they become what's known as whistleblowers, right? And for, for that precise purpose. Um, it's very frustrating, I think, the lawyers who get involved in these kinds of political cases when when um, the pressures are so enormous on the on the courts and the judges to um, just keep the lid on the truth. You know, we just filed on Friday... Uh, a response to the magistrate's report on the Sirhan case, the assassination of Bob Kennedy. Um, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a detailed filing, and we encourage everyone to read it, uh, because the magistrate has for many, many, many years presided over the uh, relegation of the truth and the facts in, the, in that okay. case. Bill, I gotta jump, uh, I gotta go into a break here. We'll come back. The state execution of MLK on the Conspiracy Show. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. William Francis Pepper stays with us. Cynthia McKinney. I think we've uh, rejoined Cynthia as we discuss the state execution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as we near the 45th anniversary. Cynthia, are you with us? Yes, I am. Let me ask you. Uh, you were serving uh, the United States House of Representatives six terms. How did that feel, uh, you know, serving in, in, in the U.S. government, knowing what you know about how Dr. King was was disposed of by the government. Uh, how did that make you feel? Well, first of all, you have to understand that um, the United States itself was is a country that was born on the genocide of indigenous people and uh, then um, <laughs> built on genocide and, and um, uh, founded on genocide and then built with... Uh, uh, a crime against humanity in the transatlantic slave trade. So uh, I'm not um, um, fooled or um, misled by the propaganda that comes out of the government. I understand very clearly what 
the United States government is capable of doing. And so um, it's one thing to to have these ideas. It's quite another thing, though, to see the documentation and uh, the documentation around the counterintelligence program, the documentation that um, the in the church committee reports, the specific um, information on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But the most damning of all is the December 1999 um, jury decision that William Pepper is responsible for us knowing about. And that is the entire trial where he brought out all of the details about the fabricated down to the minute details of the cover story around the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and that's why this fouling that William Pepper has just done on Sirhan is so important because the same way they constructed the lie about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his murder is the same way the lie was constructed about the murder of Bobby Kennedy. And not only do the people of the United States have the right to know what happened to their leaders, but um, these assassinations affected U.S. policy around the world. And so the global community also has a right to know what uh, happened to these particular individuals who championed peace and as a result of their murders allowed the United States to move to... Um, without any kind of um, uh, um, mm, uh, friction, I guess, <laughs> is the word that uh, should be used um, toward a policy of endless war. Uh, Bill, was the slug that was removed from Dr. King ever properly matched to the alleged murder weapon? No. No, there never was a match. and The, the, the alleged murder weapon was a throwdown gun. That uh, was not the alleged weapon at all. No, there was no match. But, you know, the same thing, I mean, Cynthia's quite right. She's talking about the Sirhan case. Same thing is true in the Sirhan case. There, none of the uh, uh, the bullets from Sirhan's gun had ever been matched to any of the victims. And there were a number of people who were wounded by shots flying all over the pantry. Sirhan's, Sirhan's arm was pinned to the table, steam table, after he fired uh, he fired two. Managed to fire two shots. He got off two shots. He was under uh, hypnoprogrammed control. We've gone through this in great detail um, with Professor Brown from Harvard, who's had Sirhan on free recall and hypnosis for over 70 hours, and we know the extent of the hypnoprogramming, the fact that they use chemicals as well as hypnosis, where it took place. I mean, we've we've we've, we've broken that case as well, uh, and. We had 12 witnesses who said Sirhan was always in front of Bob Kennedy, never behind him. And Bob was hit, of course, by three bullets at Powderburn Range from the rear. It's impossible for Sirhan to have uh, have done that. Then his arm was pinned, and he kept pulling the trigger in robot-like fashion, and the bullets went all over the place. Uh, and the 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 neck bullet that was taken from Bob Kennedy, um, 
was not the neck bullet that was introduced at trial. We've established factually, without dispute, that they substituted a bullet. His, Sirhan's lawyer was under indictment at the time throughout the entire trial, through the trial, did not challenge the state on anything, accepted all of the ballistics evidence. And this was a farce, total farce. And they've kept this case out of court and kept this uh, innocent patsy in prison um, for all these years um, <clears throat> on the basis of procedural defects, uh, because previous lawyers had missed filing times and things of that sort. So they, they, this is the way they avoid getting the facts out. But, you know, Cynthia's quite right. Even we, when we had the civil trial and we did put out all the evidence, the media didn't cover it. Um, and um, they were there when Mrs. King testified and Andy Young, but then they left when the heavy evidence started being put on. They, the, the mainstream media will not cover this case and uh, these cases because political assassination is something that is not supposed to exist in, in this republic. Is it, it does. There's and a connection. We need Cynthia McKinney back in the, right. in the Congress. So at least she could get up every day and she could be, be putting these things in a record. And uh, we should figure out how to get you back in, Cynthia. Is there, a, is there a connection? I throw this out to both of you um, as we head into the uh, the top of the hour and, and say goodnight, but is there a connection that in, in terms of the the people involved, in the same people in JFK, um, um, Malcolm X, um, Dr. King, Bobby Kennedy? Don't talk about people. Talk about institutions. The FBI and the intelligence institutions in this country are the foot soldiers for the well-being and the stability of corporate interests who run the society. This has been the case going back time immemorial. They tried to overthrow Mr. Roosevelt. You probably know something about this right. in 1933. Uh, and at that time, it was the Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, the DuPont, and the Harriman, Brown Harriman interests, and the Mellons determined to overthrow Roosevelt. And they sent General Smedley Butler to him, a two-time Congressional Medal Award winner, to tell him he had to step down or they would kill him. This was an attempt because Roosevelt was determined to prosecute that entire crowd, including Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles, for collaborating with the Nazis, for supporting American corporations who were dealing with the Nazis throughout the war. And Mr. Roosevelt died one month before the end of the war. And all of, his, all of the indictments he planned and all the prosecution that he planned went awry. Anybody who's interested in reading, there's a, a, a book by a fellow called Glenn Yadon, Y-A-D-O-N, which documents all of this blow by blow. This is the nature of corporate fascism that, has, that supported the Nazis during the war, collaborated in joint ventures with I.G. Farben and, and, and their patent mammoth patent operations. This is nothing new, and the political assassination is just another tactic that's used as a last resort to keep control of the system. Let's get that book title once again, Bill. That, that book is called uh, 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 Nazi Hydra in America. The, the author is a fellow called Yadon, Y-E-A-D-O-N, Glenn Yadon, and... Um, it's, it's, a, it's a devastatingly thorough research on what happened 
and how these corporate fascists supported supported the Nazis. Prescott Bush himself ran 23 of these companies all during the war. Uh, Cynthia, uh, tell me about the MLK Records Act. You introduced two different versions of the same bill, um, I guess starting about 10 years ago. What was that act about, the Records Act? Well, it was just about the release of uh, the remaining uh, documents um, pertaining to the surveillance and then, of course, the, the, the murder of Dr. King. And um, we uh, have lots of records that that need to be released. And thank goodness we have William Pepper, who has written at least, what, three books? Well, two. The third, Cynthia, is uh, still in preparation. But, yes, there are, there are two, Orders to Kill and uh, Act of State. And there's a third one that will ultimately ultimately be coming out when I find the time to finish it. Well, there's there's so much uh uh evil and wrongdoing <laughs> going on that you, you you you're you're just being kept busy um just with the current state of affairs unfortunately, but um we all need that third book to come out as well and um you've inspired me, Bill, to um uh, do my PhD on just this very topic of uh, the use of political assassination as a policy tool of the oh, U.S. Oh, that's great. That's great, Cynthia. Because yeah. it's a tactic that, that is used, you know, and go, it's immemorial. You go, you can go back to Caesar and before, even you yes. know, Socrates, all the way forward. And the Americans have used it continually around the world. Um, you know, they killed Mossadegh in, uh, in 53, and then kill him, but they, they moved him out of power in 53 in order to control the Iranian oil. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's, uh, you know, they tried to kill, uh, uh, Fidel. They've tried to kill, uh, De Gaulle several times, you know, when, when he got out of line. It's a, it's a, and, and of course, you know, Fidel over 40 times. And then we got a whole other series of problems in South America that's, we can talk about another time. Yes, I would love to have you on to talk about your um, your, your good friend and the late uh, Hugo Chavez. I had uh, Greg Pallast on the show a couple of weeks ago discussing that, and uh, uh, would love to have both of you on. Uh, you have an open invitation to appear on this show anytime. Uh, Cynthia, any chance that you will run again? Well, um, there are a lot of people who are talking about it. I'm just trying to finish my schoolwork right now. And um, leave the possibility always open because it seems that the situation in the U.S. Congress has certainly deteriorated since I left just, in 2007, that's for sure. Just a quick uh, last point from each of you. How would the world be different today if Dr. King had not been felled by that bullet? Well, in my view, if, if, if Martin King would have been a powerful force uh, for peace, for uh, ending ending the war in Vietnam much more quickly, and working in collaboration with Bob Kennedy, uh, we have to see those assassinations, which are less two months apart, as 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 being twins um, that were that were evils that were visited on the people of this republic by the, uh, the those forces of power. But together, Bob was committed was totally committed to ending the war in Vietnam and putting this co- this country on a course to peace, and Martin would have been his ally each step of the way. It's not even clear that Martin King might not have been at, 
a running mate of Bob Kennedy's. I, I, you know, I knew Bob. I was his citizen's chairman of Westchester County, New York, when he ran in, for the Senate in 64 when I was just a kid. Can you imagine but, that ticket, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, my word. Listen, we're out yeah, of time. Uh, Bill, that was not an impossibility. That's all I will say. Bill uh, Pepper, thank you for this. Cynthia, uh, again, let's, uh, let's have you on again soon and talk some more. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank Good you. to hear you, Cynthia. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You can follow me here at theconspiracyshow.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett.